for joining us for another informative, educational, and entertaining edition of Music and Medicine with Dr. Charles Modlin, kidney transplant surgeon, board-certified urologist, public speaker, and well-known community national leader for the elimination of health disparities, dedicated to informing you, the listening audience, about important health topics and health information that you, your family, and your community need to know while at the same time providing you with quality entertainment because music and entertainment is medicine. Dr. Marlin's co-hosts are Jerome Brown and registered nurse Jonathan Branch. And the program often includes special content expert guests. So, without further ado, here is the host of the show, Dr. Charles Marlin. Hey, uh, welcome everybody out there in the listening audience to another very exciting and very informative edition of Music and Medicine. I, I have to say that what we're going to talk about tonight, substance abuse, is probably one of the most important topics that we've discussed on this program, on this platform. And we have a very special guest, uh, one of my colleagues uh, whom I work with over at Metro Health uh, here in Cleveland. Uh, Dr. Joan Papp is going to join us um, to to talk about substance abuse. Um, it's a very serious problem that we're facing in America today. Actually, uh, the entire world is facing uh, uh, this problem, but it's something that oftentimes people don't want to talk about, And and but we're going to talk about it because it's very important. It's, it's also affecting our young generation, our adolescents, our, our kids, um, even the older generation is being impacted by this. And so it's a very important topic. So uh, thank you for being here. Uh, and, and please uh, spread the word and, and uh, get the attention of uh, other ones and, and encourage them to, to uh, log on to the, uh, the platform. So again, Dr. Joan Papp is going to be our very special guest. Um, but before we bring Dr. Papp on, I'd like to bring on one of my other colleagues uh, at Metro Health, uh, Dr. Azimbakor. Uh, are you with us? Dr. Azimbakor is a uh, clinical psychiatrist at, at Metro Health, and she's been on the program before uh, many of you may remember one of the episodes we did on, well, you, you tell us, uh, Dr. Azimakor, um, seasonal. Seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, seasonal affective disorder. I, I often call it seasonal depression, but there's the correct term is affective disorder. So it's about that time of year again. Uh, I'm going to have to bring out my uh, my lamp, my, my uh, therapy light. Light therapy. Mm -hmm. yeah, light therapy. So thanks for joining us. I just wanted to introduce... Um, our very special guest, and, and you're one of our special guests too, Dr. Zimbakor, and, and, and thank you for joining us. Um, again, psychiatrist at Metro Health, but let me um, read a brief introduction um, about Dr. Joan Papp. And again, this, this introduction, I, I could actually introduce her all and read all of her credentials. It would take me about an hour or longer. So it's not gonna do her justice, but um, uh, allow me. So Dr. Uh, Joan Papp, is an associate professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Metro Health Medical Center. She graduated from the Medical College of Ohio in Toledo and the Metro Health Case Western Reserve University Residency Program in Emergency Medicine. She is the founder and medical director for the Metro Health Office of Opioid Safety and Cuyahoga County Project Dawn, the founder and director. She, she founded the entire program. That, that is that is amazing. So Project Dawn is an 
and we're, you know, Dr. Papp can talk about this, but Project Dawn is an opioid overdose education and naloxone distribution program. And, you know, we're going to get in terms of, into the program, you know, what is naloxone? Uh, this program actually provides free education on what, on, on what puts someone at risk for opioid overdose, how to recognize the signs and symptoms of opioid overdose, and how to respond to an opioid overdose and, and use naloxone. So um, she's doing remarkable work, um, uh, not only uh, at Metro Health, but also nationally. Um, Dr. Papp is the chairperson for both the policy subcommittee, get this, of the United States Attorney's Office Heroin Action Plan Committee for over 10 years and the Opioid Response Initiative for the Ohio Hospital Association. Uh, she's the recipient of the Cranes Cleveland Healthcare Heroes Award, uh, Advancements in Healthcare Award in 2014, the Ohio Injury Prevention Partnership Award in 2015, and the 2016 Ohio ACEP Awards for Advocacy and Emergency Medicine. And again, I could read many more accolades and, and a lot of work that she's doing. Um, but yeah, with that being said, um, Russell, we, we, uh, we came up with a, a picture I'd like to show of Dr. Papp, uh, um, if we might. Yeah, so yeah, Dr. Papp didn't know we were going to show that, but I, I think uh, that, that's her um, with um, Governor Kasich. Uh, so let, let's actually bring on Dr. Papp um, to the platform. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Papp. So uh, I don't know if you remember that picture there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was one of the most exciting days of my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, tell us about it. Tell us about it. Well, thank you again, you know, for inviting me here today. Um, it's it's really a pleasure and an honor to, to have the opportunity to um, to be part of your show. Um, so that happened to be the day that we were signing um, into law House Bill 170, which was the bill that we had spent a ton of time advocating for to increase access to naloxone. Um Prior to signing of that bill, the only person who could receive naloxone was the person who was at risk for having an overdose. And what that bill did was it allowed us to um, distribute naloxone to people who might be in a position to rescue a person from an overdose, um, like a friend or a family member who you know might want to have naloxone on hand. And it also allowed police officers and and um, other law enforcement to carry in and administer naloxone as well. So that was really exciting. It was a huge first step for the state of Ohio. And and I guarantee you, because of your advocacy and, and persistence uh, to get that bill passed, you have actually saved countless numbers of lives of individuals in the state of Ohio and, and beyond. So, you know, we can't thank you enough for that. Um, it, it takes a tremendous amount of dedication to be able to work with policymakers and politicians to to get a bill passed, so I, I, you know, I can only imagine. Um, but so you mentioned naloxone. What, what exactly is uh, naloxone? Sure. So naloxone is the antidote to opioid overdose. Um, so it's what we call an antagonist, meaning that it reverses or it antagonizes the effect of an opioid. So. Um, in our brains, we have opioid receptors called mu receptors, and that's where opioids bind. So heroin, morphine, oxycodone, um, those pain relievers 
bind to that mu receptor in our brain and they can either turn it on and give us pain relief and euphoria. That That's something we call an opioid agonist, meaning it turns it on. Or you can have naloxone, which is the antagonist, which means it binds to that receptor and it turns it off. And so that's what naloxone does. It binds to that receptor really strongly, so strongly that it actually knocks off other um, opioids that might be on the receptor. And um, well, if if you're dependent on opioids, it'll throw you into withdrawal, um, but it'll also wake you up. It'll reverse the respiratory depression that you have if you're overdosing. So, so most people, when they we hear about overdosing, they 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 succumb to respiratory. They stop breathing. Is that is that the mechanism whereby? That's right. Kills right. The- right. So, an opioid will um, the you know the first effect will be that it will give you pain relief, then euphoria, then you'll start to see some CNS depression. And then um, over time, you get respiratory depression up until the point where um, the higher the dose that you administer or that um, is taken by the person, um, the the respiratory rate will slow down and and eventually stop. And that's what causes the the fatal end result of of overdose death. So I've heard, I don't know, is it true that or I don't, I don't know what the percentage of individuals who are um, uh, abuse opioids, they, they started with um, getting a prescription uh, from a physician, um, healthcare provider. That, that, that's, that's pretty true. Is that, is that true? So, so yes, yes and no. Um, so when we start, when we look at the history of the opioid epidemic, definitely started that way. In the mid-1990s, we saw really aggressive marketing of opioid um, painkillers. And so that, that was really the, the beginning of the opioid epidemic. But things have progressed and things have um, you know changed over time. And we're seeing less and less prescribing. And we're starting to see more people have access to opioids on the street than perhaps, you know, 10 or 10 or 12 years ago. But but 10 or 12 years ago, I would have said absolutely everyone who's using opioids is was started with on a prescription. Not not as much the case now. So so addiction, when when somebody becomes addicted to an opioid, um, a lot of times. So, I mean, that's a physical addiction, but there's a psychological addiction component as well. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, so, you know, we think probably about one in 10 people are predisposed to sort of like the effect of an opioid more than other people and um, be at greater risk for um, addiction. And so um, with that being the case, you know, it, there, there's probably some genetic component to it. Um, it may affect people in a different way, but about one in 10 people are going to try that opioid for the first time and think, boy, this is, this is great. Um, whereas, you know, and, and, and there's no predisposition, you know, nobody knows it it has nothing to do with your income or your race or anything like that. It, It just one in 10 people tend to, you know, just have that predisposition to, to like the way it, it feels more than others. So, so if you have somebody, a family member um, who's had a history of substance abuse, alcohol, uh, another substance, is that a, a red flag that you yourself would, would be more likely to experience yeah. it? 
Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So we know, you know, what the, one of the biggest risk, risk factors for um, becoming addicted to opioids is being addicted to something else. Okay. So if you, um, you know, are have um, an addiction to alcohol or cocaine or other illicit drugs of abuse, um, you're going to be more likely to um, develop an addiction to opioids. We also know that people who have mental health um, conditions, um, psychiatric illness, are also at a little higher risk than um, the general population. Yeah. So, Doctor Zimbacore, and you know, you know, being a psychiatrist, uh, I'm sure you probably have seen some patients with substance abuse disorders. Uh, very, very difficult. You have to follow these individuals long term, I would imagine. It's, it's not like an easy um, situation that you can address. Oh, I think you're muted, too. Yeah. Sorry, there you go. Yeah. Oh, yes, um, definitely. Thank you, Dr. Pop, for that um, beautiful um, overview um, of um, substance use. It's, it's a really problematic situation, you know, when when we have patients with mental health disorders, um, a lot of them have dual diagnoses where they just don't have depression or anxiety disorders. They have substance use disorders and that becomes complicated. And part of it is because these people are going through things that they're self-treating with substances, you know, and some of them, and, and that's, you know, we, when we talk about substance use, we also try to uh, break the barriers in terms of stigma. A lot of people think that, you know, being um, having a substance use disorder, you know, is something very negative. They're looked at as, as uh, people who have, you know, some sort of moral issues. These are all stigma. Um, some people start to have opioid um, dependence from pain, you know, someone gets into an accident, um, sustains some fractures, uh, has to be on opioids to help them relieve pain. And like the Dr. Pat said, um, there are people who just have a tendency to be more dependent um, on opioids just because of how it makes them feel. And so you find that when these kinds of people are exposed to use opioids for as pain medications, they have a tendency to then start depending on these um, uh, opioids and it becomes a problem. And so like she also pointed out, some of the effects are psychological. You know, depression is one of it. Anxiety is one of it. And so when people have opioid withdrawal, they have more tendency to feel depressed. You know, when they're intoxicated, they 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 they're very euphoric. They're happy. They're and once they start to withdraw, depression kicks in, and so it becomes a difficult um, disorder to treat. Hmm. When when you have depression, anxiety, or any other mental health disorder mixed up with drug use, hmm. so yes, definitely we do have a lot of patients in clinic, and I I do see a lot of them like that. It's it's very difficult to treat, definitely, but. Of course, we do what we can. Oh, I mean, it's uh, you're you're you both are in a very difficult line of work, um, and it takes a lot of patience and and, and dedication, and you have to build a, a very close trusting relationship with your patients. Um, 
to get them to follow up and, and you know subscribe to your your treatment recommendations. So so it's not easy. Um, so you know, doc, Dr. Pep, I mean, we're, we're talking about uh, substance abuse, opi opioid uh, use. There, there's different there's different um, types of, or classifications of opioids or, or different potencies, I, I should say. Um, you know, can, can you tell us about you know some of the different uh, the, some of the names of the, the medications that we're talking about? Well, sure. Um, so for some of the um, medications that people might be prescribed, things to look mm -hmm. out for, um, we have everything from, you know, very, very uh, low potency opioids or partial opioids like tramadol, mm -hmm. which can be um, prescribed for pain, to higher potency prescription opioids like Percocet and Vicodin. Um, and those tend to be, you know, those medications are shorter acting. And then we have on um, the more potent end of the spectrum, um, drugs like, um, you know, fentanyl and Dilaudid that have, you know, just a much higher potency and may have, um, you know, we do see some long acting um, formulations of those medications as well. So um, that can put folks at a little bit higher risk if they misuse those, um, yeah. those medications. Yeah. Um, and then we see fentanyl, of course, um, illicitly manufactured. And, and that's really the primary illicit drug of abuse that we're seeing out um, on the on the street now. See, a lot of people I, 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 I you know, I, I hear that they take they don't even realize they're taking fentanyl mm -hmm. um I, i've seen pictures where it's even disguised as as you know popular candy um so that, that's really disturbing yeah and so you know one of the one of the benefits of serving on the u.s attorney's task force is that we you know we get to hear directly from the dea and um you know some of the law enforcement that that collect these drugs. And so, you know, what we're hearing from the DEA is that those pressed pills you see could have really just about anything in them. They almost universally will have fentanyl, but they may have drugs like xylazine, which is a sedative. They may have nitazines, which are sort of a um, opioid-like substance. Um, a lot of times they're having um, illicitly manufactured benzodiazepines, but primarily they're fentanyl, um, and they can be they can be marketed as anything. Um, we've seen you know pills that are marketed as Xanax, but it's it's got fentanyl in it, um, and it's really can just be a hodgepodge. And and when you're buying something on the street, you really don't know anymore what you're going to get. It's probably going to have fentanyl in it, and it's probably going to have a mixture of other things as well. So you know, I mean, uh, it, it's easy to say don't go and and. <laughs> get drugs off the street. I mean, you know, it, it's, uh, I mean, that's our message, obviously. Right. But, don't use drugs. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't use drugs. Just say I, no. Podcast, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, go back to what Nancy Reagan said, you know, just say no, which is right. true. Um, if only it were that easy. <laughs> yeah. If only were that easy. Uh, you know, you can never retire by the way, uh, Dr. <laughs> Zimbacor, Dr. Pap, you, you gotta, we gotta have you both on the front lines doing this, this work. I know. Um, so you, one, one of the one of your roles at Metro Health is also to educate every caregiver, every employee, uh, about you know this problem of substance abuse and 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 as far as the caregivers, the prescribers, um, there are strict guidelines in terms of how we as physicians 
prescribe these medications. Um, so there, there's um, strict monitoring of, of uh, each physician in terms of how much we prescribe and, and um, and you know that's that's very important that there's regulations on that um, to make sure that physicians are not overprescribing. You know we're we're seeing a lot of substance abuse, uh, and again, several years ago we didn't really think this was the case, but in in the elderly population as well. Um, there there's a, a, a schematic also that we we've, we've heard that there's racial disparities um, in substance abuse, um, maybe the um, access to, 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 you know, um, substance abuse, um, you know, therapy, um, treatment, um, you know, facilities, um, not, not everybody has access to these treatment, um, you know, programs, many of them require in, in that you have, uh, insurance. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, uh, but I want to get more into maybe some of the racial disparities that we see with, with respect to, you know, who's using, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, these opioids, the substances, and, and you know, what, what can be done about it. So, um, Russell, why don't you play our, our we have a, a, a quick video from um, one of my favorite artists, uh, Whitney Houston. And one of the reasons why I wanted to actually play this um, particular song from this artist is, as everybody probably recalls, Whitney Houston actually um, died from substance abuse. So, um, she was one of my favorite, um, you know, singers. So we're going to play, take a, a quick break uh, um, to show the audience this uh, this this video. One of my favorites.
Yeah, that um, song is literally, I, I would actually rank that song among the top, um, my top five all-time favorites and takes me back to 1987 um, when she released that when I was an intern at New York University, uh, getting getting tortured as an intern, but <laughs> I get, I can get very emotional, you know, um, hearing that song. I mean, she was a tremendous talent and uh, that was a tremendous loss. So um, again, it just goes to show um, you could be in, in any walk of life, um, you know, wealthy and, and still be a victim to, to this. Um, I, I wanted to highlight this article that I that I saw. Uh, Black Americans are, are now dying from drug overdose overdoses at, at higher rates than whites. Um, and I, I did become aware, and I'm sure Dr. Pep, obviously you're aware of this. Uh, Doctor or, or the the President Biden administration uh, released its national drug control strategy, uh, which included a call for addressing untreated addiction. Um, and they stressed to, that to succeed in this, we need to do more to address the unmet, unmet needs for culturally, racially, and ethnically appropriate care for individuals uh, treating, um, seeking substance use uh, treatment. Um, some of what was highlighted was that older Americans are increasingly seeking treatment for substance use disorders, and older Black Americans who start treatment are much less likely to have their treatment terminated and not finish the treatment compared to white adults. I'm not exactly sure why that is. Um, you guys may have some insight into that. Um, but, you know, they, they say that they're, given the data limitations, they're not sure conclusively uh, what the root causes of the disparities are. Um, but they mentioned they're more than likely multifaceted. And, and they, they point out asking patients to leave, you know, treatment facilities does not fix the root health reasons, um, uh, obviously. So, uh, a lot more work to do, but we are seeing that um, there is evidence that, um, you know, th this problem is escalating in all segments of, of society, all races and ethnicities, but uh, we are particularly seeing escalating um, substance abuse uh, uh, disorder in, in African-Americans. So uh, is, is that what you're seeing also, Dr. Pep? Yeah, definitely. It's been um, it's been a big change over the last 10 years, because when this epidemic started, you know, as you mentioned, it started with prescription painkillers. And because whites tended to be prescribed at a higher rate, we, we saw the, the biggest demographic was white males. But as time has progressed and this um, this uh, epidemic has has really changed and and the face of the the person who's using and um, who is dying of overdose has, has really shifted um, because we're seeing less people start with prescription painkillers and more people starting you know on the street um, and right now just in Cuyahoga County about 35 percent of the overdose fatalities are are blacks which you know if you look back 10 years ago it was like about Five percent. So this is a dramatic change. Um, we're seeing an increase in Hispanic and um, American Indian and and um, Native Americans as well across the across the country. Hmm. So you know, it, it again, it's really remarkable. Um, you know, African Americans, other minorities, are minority percentage of the population. Yet, I mean, they have these uh, very high um, rates of uh, substance abuse. So. 
Yeah. Right. And I was going to say, you know, it's the, it's the fastest growing demographic, too. Oh, yeah. um, and particularly, you mentioned older adults as well. So in 2020, the CDC put out some some really frightening statistics. They um, looked at black males over the age of 65 and mm-hmm. found that they were dying at a right at a rate that was seven times that of white Americans of that same in that same age demographic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really scary. And and as you said before, a lot of these individuals are, are mixing these opioids, uh, narcotics with alcohol, I, I would suspect, right? Yeah. We're seeing alcohol. We're seeing it also. A, a, one of the big um, things that we're seeing is that people are seeking other drugs, like they might be seeking cocaine or crack, mm. and they get fentanyl instead because oh. they didn't know it was in there. Um Definitely alcohol can increase the the respiratory and CNS depression of the opioids. But but a lot of times people, you know, they, they just didn't know they were getting fentanyl. Um, so, you know, Dr. Zimbacore, um, I guess it was last October, we opened up our new mental health behavioral health hospital in Cleveland Heights. Uh, I understand it's the first behavioral health hospital that was opened in the last 50 years in, in, in the entire county. So, um you know, Metro Health's doing great work and, and Metro Health is is putting mental health um, top of mind. A lot of times, you know, historically, we as healthcare providers, um, we didn't really think about the, the importance of addressing mental health. We, we know it's just as important as addressing the physical con- mental or physical health conditions. You know, um, so w- what's um, w- what are we seeing or do, do we have a, a inpatient treatment facility or, or or how, how are we addressing uh, these issues at, at Metro Health? Right. Um, first of all, I wanted to thank you for playing that music from oh, Whitney God. Houston. She lives forever in a lot of our hearts. I mean, yes. she is phenomenal. So thank you for that. That was so uplifting. Um, so, Dr. Pap, I just really admire you. You know, the fact that you took this bold step to get this law signed and making naloxone very available for people to be treated with is phenomenal. You know, thank you for the work that you've done so far. Um, We know that there is more work to do. Um, There's a lot ahead to be done, but this is a big improvement from status quo. And um, definitely Metro Health has expanded its behavioral health um, department. Um, we, we do have recovery resources, uh, which is a program that really uh, addresses uh, the substance use disorder uh, population that we have. And so hopefully we will be able to get more providers in this space to help care for, for the patients. And, and Dr. Pap, it's really remarkable, really, the, the change, the shift that you talked about with the statistics, um, that's that's very remarkable to, to think about. Who has the highest rates of comorbid um, medical conditions? It's, it's the Black uh, race. And so we know that people who have, you know, medical conditions um, usually are exposed to having a risk of substance use as well. Some of these, um, are a result of trying to deal with some physical pain that people are going through. 
and also just to escape you know what is in front of them and so they go into substance use and and then we find we find that the black race is really affected by this i think trauma in and of itself is really key it has a very um you know it, it interacts with substance use very innately uh, stress from racism has been identified as an important factor in developing substance and alcohol use disorders and also imposes significant barrier to recovery and you've you've mentioned how you know black people are dismissed earlier from treatment there is just a lot of racial discrimination that still happens there's a lot of health inequities that underscores um the the, the, the perpetuation of, of drug use and the morbidity and mortality of this disorder. And so there is historical trauma that plays a role in, in drug use. And um, I think that, you know, one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that whatever interventions that were building to combat drug and alcohol use disorders, need to be designed to also address the social determinants of health, such as racial discrimination and historical trauma. So that's work that needs to be done. And I think that in that space, we're doing what we can, but there's still more to be done. Yeah, thank you. So Dr. Papp, tell us again the, the, the name of your house bill. Oh, so the bill that was passed in 2014, that was House Bill 170. Okay. Um, but there have been a couple other bills that have passed since that time that have increased access to naloxone as well. Okay. So let's say that I'm out at a baseball game, basketball game, walking in the park, and and, and I see – and so to, to back up, I, I've heard there are um, – there, there, there are movements to, uh, and I don't, I don't know where this stands. Um, there, there are calls to where any, any person, any adult um, can have access to, to naloxone, not just for themselves, as you said, mm -hmm. but, but if, if I'm at a basketball game, baseball game, walking into park, et cetera, and if I see somebody um, who I suspect may be having an overdose, the purpose would be that I, as an individual, whether I'm a healthcare provider or not, would be able to administer that naloxone um, to help save their life. It, it, that, that's where, where do we stand on that in terms of the, the call to action where everybody can have access? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. We're there. Okay. Um, <laughs> we're there. So, okay. so some of the things that we've done to increase that access um, include, well, number one, um, yeah. Narcan just went over the counter. Oh, um, okay. So anyone can go to the drugstore and buy it. I think it's around 50 or $60. We okay. give it for free um, okay. at our program but anyone can have access to it. And we also have um, Nalox boxes, which are kind of like AED type access. So it's a, like a clear plastic box that anyone who is you know, out in public can just reach in, grab the Narcan and, and use it to reverse an overdose if they witness that. So that's very important. I, I actually should be armed as a physician. You know, I, I, I should have already known that, but I should actually be armed with with, with naloxone. I, I mean, I, I 
I, I knew it was available. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're going to have to supply me with some of that. Uh, and did, didn't I hear that also, I mean, it can be administered IV, IM, sub-Q, or sub, sure. sublingual. Is there an oral pill also now? Or? No, it no? has to be, it has to be, um, uh, it has to go directly into the bloodstream. So when we do um, the nasal spray, it gets absorbed through the um, nasal mucosa or into the sublingual, the um, vasculature, the network of blood vessels under your tongue. Hmm. Um but the problem is if it's swallowed, it doesn't, um, you know, it gets deactivated. Okay. Um, so what, what are some of the signs of somebody, um, you know, having, a, you know, overdose reaction? Or, or... Sure. So um, what you might see if you're out and, and you think somebody's having an overdose is the most, you know, the the most uh, noticeable thing was will be that they're just not responding. You know, they may look sleepy. They may be difficult to arouse. Um, and then if you try and wake them up and they're not waking up, you may notice that um, they're either breathing slowly or kind of making loud respirations, like, <laughs> you know, just like really gasping. Um you may notice that they're looking kind of blue around the lips and their fingernail beds might look a little bit gray or ashen. Um, and then eventually the breathing can slow down and, and, and stop. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's what you're probably going to notice is um, yeah. the most. So I, I would imagine, so it, how, how quickly someone progresses during a, um, an overdose is probably very is, is variable. I, I would I would assume there's there's no one set you know degree of time probably for something like depends on how much they took. Yeah, tolerance. depends on yeah on how much they took and what they took because um, you know we hear from law enforcement that sometimes they'll find people who have injected um, heroin and they you know the needle's still on their arm they just. Oh died immediately. But then, you know, we have other folks who are sorting drugs and um, just kind of slowly, um, uh, you know, um, progress in their respiratory depression until they stop breathing over hours. But um, it can be variable. So fentanyl, correct me, is it 100? Am I right? 100 times more potent than heroin? Is that is that what I heard? Yes, that's right. Okay. okay. That, that's really remarkable that, you know, and, and again, it, it's a synthetic um, opioid nar narcotic. Um, you, it, It's very important drug in, for the use, you know, by, by anesthesiologist uh, uh, during surgery. But right. other than that, there's no, there's no real um, point in, in its use, right? Or, yeah. You know, I mean, the funny thing is we use it you know, I'm an emergency physician. We yeah. use it all the time in the emergency department. It's a very helpful mm -hmm. um, analgesic. We use it. Um, one of the reasons we like it is because it um, is fully synthetic and you don't have as much um, um, uh, vasoactive instability. You know, your, your blood pressure is a little bit more stable mm -hmm. and it's very short acting. Um, but for all of those, but it's also very potent and so that it provides good rapid pain relief for broken mm -hmm. bones and trauma and, and things like that. Um, but unfortunately, those are all the reasons that people like to misuse it as well, unfortunately. Yeah. And the stuff that you buy in the street is not diverted 
pharmaceutical mm. grade. It's okay. it's illicitly manufactured, mm. you know, made in a drug lab in Mexico primarily. So what, you know, what what should or what what can we do to ensure you mentioned um similar to the AED like the the yeah. the um the boxes, narc, mm -hmm. uh, the Loxone boxes. Narc, um, how can we help get those distributed out into the community? You know, how can we make community organizations aware um, yeah. that they can have these these opportunities for their organizations and community uh, facilities? Sure. So, um, you know, we have a QR code that has a ton of resources. Um, mm -hmm. Happy to send that your way. And, you know, if you want to post it. Um, that's a great way for anyone who just wants to, to learn more, who wants to get some resources for a family member or a friend. Um, definitely, you know, ha carry Narcan. Um, if you, if you um, don't want to pay $50 and buy it at the drugstore, you can get it from us or um, you can, um, you know, uh, get it from, we have a, a naloxone vending machine on campus at our institution. Um, so you can get it, you know, with really, you know, no um, kind of anonymously. So, so okay. that I know sometimes that's a barrier for people is they don't want to have their, they don't want it on their medical record. Mm. Um, but, you know, the other thing I think is just really important is just educating yourself. You know, yeah. um, people should know, that this is a this is a disease. This is an illness just like so many other illnesses that we treat in medicine. And treatment is really effective, um, and, and treatment's available. Okay, so you know we'll we'll put up um, at the end of the show. We'll we'll, we'll probably put up some um, maybe some phone numbers that that sure. individuals can call for a call to help or that kind of thing. Dr. Modlin, do you yes. mind if I, um, so I'm, I'm sitting here and, um, you know, I, I'd like Dr. Papp's um, take on, on this because um, there are so many people who are excited about having Narcan available for them to use, but we do have people who are also very hesitant about it because they're like, it has to have side effects. There has to be something, you know, bad about using this. What what happens if you administer um, Narcan to someone who doesn't really need it? I, I think some audience might want to know, you know, if there are any adverse effects to that. I just want to, you know, hear your take on that. Sure. Um, so, so in the emergency department, a lot of times people come in and they're unresponsive and we don't know what's going on. You know, maybe they're having a stroke, maybe their blood sugar is low, um, maybe they're having an overdose. And so it's part of what we call our tomopactail. We, you know, we administer Narcan, we administer um, um, D50 or, you know, we check the blood sugar, try, try to wake them up. And we recognize that most, many of those people may not be having an overdose, but the, the good news is that it does not have any effect if you're not having an overdose. If no. you're dependent on opioids, it will put you into some withdrawal um, and generally will wake you up as well. So there's no effect. It only acts at that one place in the brain, that mu receptor. And if there's no opioids on that mu receptor, it, nothing whatsoever is going to happen to that person not harmful at all. Yeah, that's good to know. That's great to know. Um, because as Dr. Zimbacore said, some people would be afraid of, will they get in trouble, you know, um, <laughs> if there was somebody got a side effect, that, that kind of thing. No, 
No, and we've actually even passed a, um, a Good Samaritan law in the state of Ohio that protects bystanders. So, for instance, if um, Dr. Modlin, you give Narcan to somebody who's having an overdose and, and you left your, your needles and your syringes laying around, um, you won't, you won't get, um, prosecuted. Okay. Um, maybe not you, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but, but if somebody, if somebody calls 911, um, for an overdose victim, you know, they're not going to be prosecuted for drug use, um, because, um, you know, they're protected. We we're, we want people to call 911. We want them to get help. And we recognize that a lot of times these overdoses are, are um, you know, are dying unnecessarily just because people are afraid of law enforcement. They are afraid that if they call 911, they're going to go to jail. Um, so the, mo the thing that I most commonly as a urologist have lying around would be urinary catheters, <laughs> or that kind of thing, you know. So. Right. Yeah. In the OR, we have scalpels and things, but in the clinic, right, right, yeah. I carry, I carry around catheters if anybody's yeah. rubber gloves to do prostate exams, that kind of thing. You know? Yeah. But, um, well, you know, I, I'd like to thank both of you, uh, Dr. Papp, Dr. Zimbabwe, for you know, being here. You know, as I, I said, this is uh, one of the most important, if not the most important uh, topic we've had on this, this platform, um, substance abuse, drug overdose. Uh, we're seeing escalated, escalating numbers of individuals who are succumbing to this. Uh, a lot of it's because of the fentanyl crisis. So I think you presented a lot of information. You know, we're seeing a growing um, trend in the elderly population, the older population, uh, in our kids also. So it's something that everybody needs to become aware of and to take steps. You know, we've learned about um, the fact that everybody can actually access and, and obtain the, the naloxone um, to reverse uh, overdoses. Uh, Come to Metro, it's free. Uh, what about like at CVS and, and Rite Aid and other pharmacies? Do they do they have that available also? Um, so it is so. over the counter now. Um, okay. It's only one formulation, one brand. It's called, um, it, you know, it's it's the Narcan brand, um, hmm. and um, it's available in a two pack. And I think it's like fifty or sixty dollars, but it's it okay. is out there. It just went over the counter this summer, so. Um, okay. Yeah, go out and get some. Well, again, thank you yeah, for your dedication. I mean, you know, passing uh, this legislation. But again, that that's... Uh, that's amazing. Thank that's you. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it takes a village. <laughs> of course, of course. And thank you for being part of that village because this yeah. was definitely hard. Yeah. yeah. So again, you know, we thank everybody out there in the listening audience for tuning in, you know, tune in uh, for other episodes, uh, upcoming episodes. We have a number of important topics we want to discuss. And, and you know, we're going to want to revisit this topic uh, in the near future. So hopefully Dr. Papp, you'll come back. Dr. Zimbacore, we'd, we'd love to have you back also to give us some more updates. Um, but with that in mind, we actually have one more uh, video that I wanted to play from another one of my fav uh, favorite artists, uh, Prince. Um, so we're going to show that as we uh, close out the program. And again, thanks everybody for joining in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Of course, we lost Prince also from an overdose. So, um, you know, a loss, a loss for the world, really. So, thank you, thanks everybody for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.